0: Started a series a couple weeks ago ago called "Loser," and what we've been talking about in this series is that when Jesus came to this earth, he they were expecting the Jews, the old the old covenant followers. They they were expecting another David, another Joshua, somebody that was going to come in and beat up all the bad guys and be their new king and give them their throne and give them their kingdom. And just end all the persecution and all the injustice and that Jews were just going to be at the top of the food chain all over again and instead they got the exact opposite they got hippie Jesus they got Jesus who was talking about blessed are the hungry and blessed are the mourners and blessed are the pure in heart they got a guy who came to this earth fully God and fully man but chose to put himself in a lower class chose to put himself uh, under under the parent under the parents of a fifteen year old girl and, and Joseph, who would actually end up dying, who, who who would be in the category of a carpenter of of a tradesman, I mean, he put himself in a situation where he would eventually be arrested, be crucified, and even unjustly put to death. He did all of that. He put himself on that seat. On the bus and why did he do that why did he choose to lose so many battles that he could have so easily won and the reason is this is because losing is how he won people losing is how we win people and he put himself in that situation by losing he was able to actually demonstrate just how much he loved us he personified grace and mercy and forgiveness, and that was his truth. That was his gospel that he came to share. And you know, John couldn't have said it any better. When you really think about John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only son." when you really think about that, what that really could have said was, "For God so loved the world, He wanted to show you just how badly he loved you, that he chose to lose his son. He chose to actually lose a fight that he could have so very easily won. And imagine this for a minute. When you think back to what, what, the, what the New Testament tells us about how Jesus was in the garden asking, pleading with his Father, if there was any other way, if there was any way to save my life, please, please, please don't make me go through this. But what did, Jesus, what did God decide to do? God decided to lose his son. God decided to look at his son for you and say, no, I will not save you. This is a fight that you have to lose in order for them to know just how much I love you. Wow. I mean, think about that, how how huge that is. Jesus, Jesus couldn't have chosen a better way to demonstrate God's love for us. And what was amazing, what we see in history, is that God actually won through Jesus' act of losing. I mean, it was that act that people decided, To follow Jesus and his disciples and everyone they finally understood what it meant and Paul he would later on say that you know Jesus in that act he made himself nothing he made himself a servant he became obedient to death I mean he humbled himself and through that act he showed us what it meant to follow Christ and so Paul would say we are now the body of Christ we are now the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so if Jesus came to lose, we should also choose to lose as well. But that's really hard for us because all we want to do is win. We want to win at life. We want to win at our marriage. We want to win at being a follower of Christ. We want to win our way. We all have sides. We all have political views. We all have opinions. And we all want our side to win. But Jesus says you're never going to win anybody by winning a debate. You have to choose to lose. And so what we're going to look at today is what Jesus really did when he came is he, he redefined what a winner looks like. He redefined what a winner looks like. And interestingly enough, this came up one day. One day when the disciples and Jesus, they were, they were traveling to Capernaum. There was this debate. They were walking and traveling and they started to fight, fight among themselves. They started to debate about who was the best disciple, who was the greatest disciple. You know, so all these guys are going, you yeah, man, I'm I'm Jesus's favorite," you know, and they're just going, "Nah, man, I'm I'm Jesus's favorite. I'm going to be the greatest one day when He's in heaven and He's taking that throne. I'm going to be at His right hand. Well, I'm going to be at His left hand. Well, I'm going to do this." And so they were having this whole debate, and Jesus overheard this. And actually, this story is recorded in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So if you've ever looked at the Bible and said, ah, did that really happen? Think about this for a minute. There are three accounts written in three different countries at three different time periods that all talked about this story because there were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses that Luke interviewed, and Mark was there, and Matthew was there, and they said, man, this debate broke out among the boys one day, and this is what happened. And so they get to this stopping place, and Jesus had overheard them and he's like, teaching moment, here we go. And so this is what Matthew tells us. We're going to look at what Matthew, what Matthew says actually happened that day. He said, at that time when they, when they arrived, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus, could you tell us who's number one? Could you tell us what number one looks like? Could you tell us what the greatest disciple looks like? Because, Jesus, I'm looking at being the Michael Jordan of disciples. That's right, the Michael Jordan, not the LeBron of disciples. I want to be the Michael Jordan of disciples, okay? I want to be the GOAT. I want to be the greatest of all time. I want to be a winner. So, Jesus, give us some idea. What does it look like to be the greatest in heaven? And so Jesus thinks, oh, man, this is perfect. I'm going to pull these guys aside and I'm going to I'm going to tell them exactly what they need to know. And so this is kind of creepy. Jesus sees a kid and he's like, "Hey kid, come here." And he just steals the kid and he sets the kid on his lap. And he begins to teach him. And this is what Jesus says to him. It says Jesus called the little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, "I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and we're going to talk about that in a minute, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven." So the first thing he says, he goes, "Well, Here's what has to happen. You must do two things. And the first thing you must do is you must turn from your sins. You must turn from your sins. You know, here's the thing. Every single one of us have chosen a path in life, whether we recognize it or not. And that path is heading you towards a destination. Whether you know it or not, whether you recognize it or not, whether you understand that you've chosen or not, Every single one of us have chosen a path and it is taking us to a destination. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you, everybody has that friend at some point in their life where they're walking a path and you know that that path they're walking is going to lead them to a, a poor destination, right? You know, they're like, man, if they keep doing this, this is not going to end well. This is not going to go well. And you just see them walking. You see them walking. And you oh, man, you don't know what to say. You don't know how to tell them because it's hard to understand. But you know it's going to end up somewhere bad eventually. And then it happens, right? All of a sudden, they call you and they go, man, you'll never believe what happened. She left me. Man, you'll never believe what happened. We're bankrupt. Man, you never believe what happened. I lost my job. You'll never believe what happened. I I got in trouble with the police. And you're going, duh. I've been waiting for this phone call. I knew this was going to happen. And how did you know? Because you knew the path they were on. You knew that the path they were on, it was eventually going to lead to this destination. You saw that coming. And the thing is, is that you could see it coming, but they couldn't see it themselves. They didn't understand what was happening, but you could see it. And it's so hard to see in our own lives. It's so hard to see coming in ourselves, but you see it all the time. And the thing we have to understand is that our direction determines our destination. Our direction is pointing us to a destination and is is going to point us there. We're eventually gonna arrive there. So we have to be careful. We have, to be, we have to be able to choose carefully the path that we're walking on. Our direction determines our destination. And here's the thing we have to understand. When it comes to being successful at life, when it comes to being having a purposeful life, there is only one route to get there. We have to understand that because there aren't multiple routes because there's only one creator God. In this culture, in our society, we think, well, there's lots of ways to get there. There's lots of ways to be successful. There's lots of ways that this could go. No, there aren't. There's only one path. And Jesus goes, You gotta understand, if you're gonna be successful at this life, period, if you wanna be a winner at life, the first thing you've got to do is you gotta turn from your sin. You've got to turn from doing things the way that you want to do them. You've got to point yourself in the direction of me if you're ever going to arrive at the destination that you want to arrive at. So let me ask you something. Some of us are followers of Jesus. Some of us aren't here in person or, or watching online. But here's the thing we have to understand is every single one of us are following somebody, whether you know it or not. Some of us are following Beyonce some of us are following our parents some of us are following just whatever internally we feel some of us are following our gut but every single one of us we're following somebody so here's the question I want to ask you is when you consider your direction in life are you following someone you can trust with your ultimate destination who are you choosing to follow and the thing is you know for me personal decision personal preference when, when it comes to me and why I follow Jesus, I feel pretty confident in following the man who predicted his own death and resurrection. And it came true exactly how he spelled it out. I feel pretty confident in following somebody who's able to predict the future and it happened exactly how he put it. I mean, if not Jesus, then who? Because we're all following someone. And so here's the thing I would tell you is if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet, or if you've kind of sort of chosen to follow Jesus, but you're kind of still following Jesus and I I would, I would, I would implore you, please, please, please go all in with Jesus. Please choose to follow Jesus. And the thing that's so great about following Jesus is it's not something that you're just going to, wake up one day and be able to fully comprehend or fully know there's so much mystery to following jesus there's so much mystery to god so many things we don't know because he is so great and he's so mighty. but here's the thing that's so great about our church it is it is a place to explore your faith at your own pace that's something that we that we take pride in this is a place to to explore your faith at your own pace but if not jesus then who Jesus says if you're ever going to be a winner, if you're ever going to be successful, you have to turn from your sin and get on the path that leads to the destination of Jesus. But remember, there's two things. Two things he says have to happen. Two prerequisites to enter into the kingdom of God. And he's got that kid still sitting, sitting on his lap among them. Everybody can see this illustration coming. And this is what he says next. He says this, So Jesus called the little child among him and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of God. So he says, two things have to happen. You have to turn from your sins. But the other thing that has to happen is, is you have to become like little children. Now, nobody ever preaches on this verse. We've talked about it here before, but nobody preaches on this verse. Nobody starts. There's not many sermon series on this. You know why? Because we don't like that part. Even though there's two things that have to happen, it's not an option, it's there. It says one and two. We don't like to do that because you know what that makes us feel like we have to do? Lose. That goes against everything we've been taught in our American culture. Because growing up, what were we told? Grow up. Act like a man. You need to be a strong and independent and capable woman. You need to act your age we have been told more and more and more as we grew up, you need to grow up. You need to become more independent. You need to handle it. You need to take care of your business. And so when we grow up to being an adult, we become so independent from even God that we become this person that's created our own path that's headed towards a destination that is not as successful as God's path would have been. And so God says, here's what you need to understand. Not only do you need to turn from sin, but you need to become like a child. A way we've put it before that we'll we'll say again is you need to grow into the child you grew out of. Jesus would say there were certain things you did as children that you were never supposed to grow out of. There is a certain independence in your life that you were never supposed to grow out of. And in order to enter my kingdom of heaven, it's not going to be a, this would be good if you did this, It is a must. It's a prerequisite. You must grow into the child that you grew out of. And the disciples were probably super confused. They were probably like, what are you talking about? Grow into the child I grew out of. Become like a child again. What in the world does that even mean? And so Jesus begins to break it down for him. And so he says, all right, teaching moment. Here we go. And so this is what he says to him next. He says, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child, He's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says, this is what the great looks like. You want to be the great? You want to be a winner? You want to be the goat? You want to be the Michael Jordan of disciples? Here's what you must do. You must become as humble as this little child. That is the greatest. Now again, we don't think about, when we think a winner, we don't think as a kid. We think about somebody mighty. We think about somebody strong. But he says, you must humble yourself. Now when we think about humility, in our English language, it's way different than what, he would have, what they would have understood at that time. When we think humility, we think less of ourselves. That's what I need to do. I need to think less of myself. I need to humble myself. I need to think low, lowly of myself. No, that's not what he's talking about at all. In the Greek, it meant something completely different. In the Greek, this is what it means. In, in the Greek, when we look at the, the word humility, it means choosing to put yourself underneath someone. Another way to look at it is asking someone who can who can do for you what you can't for yourself. That is what humility looks like. It's choosing to, you know what? I'm going to choose to put myself under the authority of somebody else. I'm going to choose to put myself in need of somebody else. I'm going to ask someone who can to do for me what I can't do for myself. And Jesus goes, you know who the greatest of people are? It's not the people who boast up and go, I can do this. I can handle this. I can take care of this. It's the people who go, you know what? I'm going to choose to put myself in need. I'm going to choose to put myself under the authority of Jesus. I'm going to say, I need Jesus for everything. I'm going to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you for the things that I can't do. And I want you here for the things that I can do. That is what humility looks like. And he says, until you become like a child and you put yourself under here and you cry out for me, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I want you to be a part of everything in my life, every decision I make, then you will not be able to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. I have have a six-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. and We're at an interesting stage in life because... My six-year-old thinks she's a 16-year-old is what's happened. And so every single day, my six-year-old just basically does her own thing. Like, uh, usually she's up before I'm up. She dresses herself. She puts her own clothes on. She does her own own routine and all this stuff. She does her own thing, and she won't let me be a part of it for anything. There's no way I'm able to help her. There's no way she's let me do anything. She has it taken care of, and she's going to do it her way. Now, my three-year-old son, everyone's gone, is my favorite right now um, because my three-year-old son will run into the room every single morning. I hear his little feet just hitting the floor, you know, and I can hear the pitter patter. That's the first thing that wakes me up. And he comes up by my bed and he lifts himself up and he goes, good morning, daddy. Can you make me breakfast? Can you get me dressed? Can you turn the TV on for me? Do I have time to watch a movie? Will you do this? And I'm like, sure, buddy. And so I get out of bed and we do this. And he goes, can I help you make mommy coffee? Can I help you do this? Can I? And just he just wants to do all these things with me. And he wants me to do all these things with him. And I'm like, buddy, I love you so much. Like, it's just a joy to wake up that way, you know? And then I go to check on my daughter. And there's my daughter doing her own thing. And I'm like, honey, how's it going? And sometimes, you know, I catch her doing things, and I'm like, that doesn't look right. That, that doesn't look good. Lord, help her, you know, type of stuff. Like some of the outfits she's chosen and things she chooses to do. And I'm like, honey, do you need, do you need my help? And she's like, no, I don't want your help. And as a matter of fact, I got in trouble this week. I got in trouble because my wife picked up Olivia on Tuesday And she said, did you send your daughter to school like this? And this was the picture that I got from my wife. This is Olivia's shorts that she decided to wear that day. Notice the two rips across the butt cheeks. (laughs) Kate goes, did you send your daughter to school like this? I said, honey, I'm trying my very best. I looked at the front. I didn't check the butt. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. But this is how my daughter ran around all day. And I said, Olivia, that's, that's, is that in, at first I had to ask, is that in style? Like, is that the new thing? Because I'm, I'm getting to that age where I don't know what cool, what's cool anymore, you know? And so I'm like, is this the thing? What's going on? And she's like, it's cool, dad. I took a sweater. I, I tied it around my waist. It's fine. You know what I mean? I'm like, honey, dear goodness, I'm in so much trouble. But I told Kate, I'm like, what do you want me to do? Right? Because every time that I try to talk to her, I try to help her. You know what she tells me? I got this. That's what she tells me. She says, I got this. And here's what every parent knows, right? Every parent knows this, when you get that kid and they get into that independent season and they start that attitude and they think that they got this, you know what you do, right? You step back and you go, oh, you think you're grown. Oh, okay, I'll let you go to school with your butt cheeks hanging out is what I'll do. And then I'll let your mother pick you up, and I'll let your mother deal with it, right? This morning, you know what? She has no room to talk. I can talk about my wife again because she's teaching the kids again. This morning, she showed up in a Elsa Halloween costume. I said, what are you doing letting our kid come to church dressed in a Halloween costume? She goes, you try talking to her. I'm like, hey, see? I know her butt cheeks aren't hanging out, but she's dressed like Anna from Frozen 2. That's still bad, okay? But she says, I got this. And so I tell her, oh, you think you're grown? Okay. Go ahead, go ahead. And I just wait. I wait, I wait. And you know, I wait at a safe distance for things to go wrong. Or I wait for somebody to say something. Or I wait for her mother to say something. And I go, see, you should let me help you, right? Because I can see her do things and I know the struggle she's going to have. I know it's not going to go as well as she intended. And here's the thing, Man. When you think about that for a minute, you think about my three-year-old and my six-year-old. My six-year-old wants me there for everything. Even the things he can do for himself. He just wants me there. He wants me to be a part of him. He's always asking me for stuff. And I gladly help him. And then I got my six-year-old saying, I got this. When you think about your position with God, when you think about how humbled you are or you aren't, which one are you? Do you look at God and go, God, I, I need you? For this, and I want you here for everything I really could do myself. Will you come with me? Will you do this? Will you help me with this? Can I pray about this with you? Would you give me clarity about this? Would you bless this? Would you help this? Or are you the type of person that looks at God and goes, I got this? Because how many people do we know who their famous last words were, I got this? Exactly. <laughs> Man, that's a. See? Kids are saying more amens than you adults are. I got this, right? I can fix my marriage. I don't need your help. I can fix my marriage. I got this. I can get myself out of this debt. I got this. I can, I can beat this addiction. I can, I can beat this habit. I, 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 I got this. And you know what I think God does at times? See, I'm trying to help you out because you know what I think happens? I think a lot of times when we look at God and go, I got this, God goes, Oh, you think you're grown. Okay. Okay. You think you're grown. Go ahead. Go ahead. Run around work with your butt cheeks hanging out. Go ahead. Do your thing, man. Yeah, go ahead. Let's see how far you get. You know, how many times do we we gather together and we look at God and go, I don't know why God won't answer our prayers. I don't know why God, why won't God change them? Why won't God help them? And God's going, I can't do anything. They're the ones. What are you talking about? I I would love to step in, but I'm not the God who comes in and forces anything. You guys have freedom of choice in this situation. I'm not going to force you to do anything. I'm here to help, but you can decline my help. And so I hear your prayers. I know, I'm getting your text messages. I see your pictures you're sending me. You're going, God, what in the world? Why won't you step in and fix this? And you know what? I tried. And you know what they told me? I got this. Every single one of us, could probably find some area of our life right now where we've looked at God and said, I got this. And you know what? God has looked at you and said, oh, you think you're grown. All right, I'll be here. I'll be right here. And I'm, I'm I'm, getting all the text messages and I'm getting all the prayers of God. Will you help them? Because I see the path they're on and I know where it's taking them and I know that's not where they want to end up. And God, they are headed for a train wreck and God's going, I know. I can see it better than you can. But that's just how obvious it is because even you as a human understand where they're going. But hey, you can't do anything and I can't do anything until they're willing to go, I need help. Until they humble themselves like a child and say, God, I need you. I need help. I can't do this on my own. Until they do that, they're going to keep going down that path. They're going to be headed there. So here's the thing, do you got this? Or would you like some help? But here's the alternative when you would humble yourself like a little child, when you would put yourself under God and go, Abba, Father, I need you, I want you. You know what happens when we put ourselves in that position daily, in every area of our life, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our finances, in our career, in our health habits. When we say, God, Father, I need you and I want you here and I want you to be a part of every single decision we make. When we do that, you truly understand what worship is. You truly understand when we come together and we sing these songs and you see those lyrics, you go, oh my goodness, that so beautifully puts into words what my heart has wanted to say. And I sing it out proudly and I sing it out with joy because that is exactly what I want, God. Father, I need you. Would you give me all of you? Would I surrender to you? Because that's exactly what I want to do. When you come to that place where you tell God, I need you and I want you, then you truly will understand worship. When you put yourself in that position and you go, God, Father, I need you. That is when you understand the power of prayer. Because so many people say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. You don't know what to say because you're trying to think of what to say. But when you put yourself in the position where you're just crying out for help, crying out for mercy, crying out for love, then you understand what prayer is and then you start to see prayer work in your life. Because the messages go out to God and God goes, I see you and I got you and I'm going to help you. That's when you understand what prayer is and the power of prayer. When you are able to do that, you understand the power that God has, the things He wants to do in your life. Man, I've been having so many great conversations. We're just going through a season right now of harvest in our church. And I called Martha this week. And Martha and I always around these times here, I mean it's been eight years this this month since we planted this church. And you know what? I can tell you right now, in eight years, there is not a single decision I made that I had full confidence behind. <laughs> I thought, I'm an idiot. I have told Kate so many times, they should not have hired me. They should have hired somebody else. They were stupid. They hired a 23-year-old kid, and then I just had a bunch of kids come along with me. That was a dumb decision. They really should have been a little bit smarter about that. I didn't do any of this. This is not built on anybody's genius. This is not built on anybody's uh, um, uh, abilities at all. This has been a total God thing. Everything that we've done here at Anchored Hope Church. But you know what? It's because we've put ourselves in that position where we've said, God, we have no clue what we're doing. Would you please help us? We don't know what, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to reach people. We've just been obedient to His voice. We've just been obedient to His calling. But you know what? Because we've put ourselves in that position where we've just said, God, we don't know what to do. So will you tell us what to do? That's where we've seen our greatest success. That's why we're in the season that we're in. And I did on Wednesday, man. Whew. Okay. Whew. Wednesday, man, I drove to work crying, just thankful, just telling God, God, I'm just, I'm so excited to go to church today and to work because I'm just so blessed at everything you're doing in everybody's life. And man, God, I know it's not me. I know it's all you. See, when you put yourself in that position is when you really get to see the blessing, when you really understand the power, when you really understand where God wants to take you. And you understand that, wow, this destination that I'm feeling right now is just one stop on many down the road. And I know that if I continue to follow Him and have faith in Him, and humble myself and put myself under Him, I know He's going to take me to greater places. I know He's going to take me to greener pastures. I know He's going to do things. and I know there's going to be fights along the way and, and, and hardships along the way and Satan's going to try to, to gouge us and hurt us, but I know that if I keep the path, God will see me through because He's seen us through eight years here. And I know He can will continue to as well. I believe that. And that's what I want for you in your life. I want you to be able to experience that. But here's the thing, you've got to turn from doing things your way to getting on the path and going the direction that he wants to take you. You've got to put your faith in him because you're following somebody. So why not follow the one who wants the best he could give you? But not only do you need to choose to follow him, but you need to humble yourself. You need to, like Jesus say, not my will, but yours. Not my way, but yours. Do whatever it is you want to do. See, the thing is, is that we will never win at life. You will never win at life doing things, trying to be a winner, but only by crying out to God as a loser. Being a loser is not just the best way to reach people for Christ, but being a loser is also the right way in growing in our relationship with Jesus. So what do you want to be? Do you want to be a winner or do you want to be a loser? Because the losing is how you win in the end. But you have to choose to lose to God, to put yourself under the authority of God and say, God, I got a lot of ideas, I got a lot of opinions, I've seen a lot of ways to do this, but you know what? Not the way I want, not my will, but yours. Would you guide me? Would you show me? I want to become like a kid again, and I'm willing to just put myself at your feet and say, Abba, Father, I need you. Your way, not mine. I want to pray for you this morning, and, and I pray that that would be your prayer. And, and, I, and I pray this morning that if you haven't chosen to follow Christ, that you would choose to today, that you would begin that journey, that you would explore your faith, that you would say, Jesus... I've followed a lot of different people. I've followed a lot of different opinions. But you know what? I'm willing to try it your way. I think your way might be best. And so I know you know you want what's best for me, and so I'm willing to follow you today. And if that's your prayer today, I want to just lead you through prayer today. So would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me today? And you know what? This morning, if that's your prayer, it's as simple as this. It's an easy invitation to just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. I want to follow you. And so Jesus, I give you my life. And for those of us who have made that turn, who have made the decision to follow Jesus, who are on that path, God, I pray that every single one of us this morning in every area of our lives would make that decision to God today to trust you with our lives and to humble ourselves like little children. God, would you help us to make the decision to humble ourselves, to put ourselves underneath the authority of you? Would we, in every single way, cry out, Abba, Father, I need you, I want you. I need you here for the things I can't do, and I want you here for the things I could do by myself. But I want you to be a part of it all. God, would you help us to make that decision today? to choose to do that in every area of our life? Would we choose to be losers so that we could be the greatest, so that we could win? Not just people, but also in our relationship with you, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.